AK-47 podcast. My name is Kristen Godsey, and I'd like to wish all of you listeners out there a very happy new year. Today is January 5th, and we are starting 2021, a new, hopefully a new era. Uh, I think New Year's eves and, and New Year's days can somewhat feel artificial. It's not that the world changes, certainly climate change or the virus. The coronavirus doesn't seem to care what day it is or doesn't respect things like borders or human conceptions of time. But at least as an exercise in, you know, having some hope for the future, trying to get up the courage to believe that things will get better. It is nice to be able to say that 2020, the year of 2020, is finally behind us, on the Gregorian calendar anyway. If uh, if you are a reader of my newsletter, I just sent out a little note about the Julian calendar and the fact that if you go by the Julian calendar, it is still December 23rd, 2020. So we're not quite out of the woods yet, but... It is, in fact, January 5th by the Gregorian calendar, which is the calendar that is the one that global capitalism runs by, so it's the one that really structures our lives for most of us in any any event. I also wanted to say once again uh, thank you to those of you who have written reviews of the podcast and sent me emails. My daughter is working hard to get those stickers out to everyone, and I encourage those of you who haven't sent in for your stickers to do so. We have quite a few left, and we are sending them out internationally. It has been really nice to to hear from people and to get a sense of how broadly, especially internationally, the podcast uh, has reached. I'm always really surprised. When I get a note uh, from somebody in Russia or from somebody in in Bulgaria or Australia who is listening to the podcast and enjoying and learning from the readings that we're doing here. So once again, thanks for that. And if you are interested in, in the stickers, I leave all the information in the show notes below as well as on the podcast website. So today I'm going to be reading a letter that Alexandra Kollontai dated January 26th, 1921. So this is a letter from exactly a hundred years ago, not exactly, but January 1921. It is now January 2021. So a hundred years later, give or take a couple of weeks, I thought it would be really interesting to get a peek into Kollontai's thinking uh, as she's writing here to a British colleague, a suffragette in the UK, uh, who was also a, a socialist. Her name was Dora Montefiore. And she, you know, corresponded briefly with Kollontai while Kollontai was uh, first serving as the Commissar of Social Welfare. And then later she was serving as the Commissar for Propaganda in the Ukraine. So here's a little letter that's kind of an update on the status of the revolution in Russia from almost exactly a hundred years ago. So this is again dated from Moscow on January 26th, 1921. Dearest comrade and friend, it was quite a treat to hear at last from you, dear comrade Montefiore. How happy I should be if we I could show you all the revolutionary and really constructive work that has been done in these last few years. 
Sometimes it seems as if centuries have passed. The change all around is so great, not only in the institutions, but especially in the psychology. For instance, in the bourgeois capitalist states, one regards a commercial man, a merchant, as a decent citizen who does not commit or buys at normal prices. How different it is now in Soviet Russia. We have no dealers, no merchants, no shopkeepers as a normal and legal thing. And if people do speculate and sell and buy, they do it secretly, knowing that commerce is a crime, not only by law, but as a moral and social principle. Here we have the great change. It would have needed a hundred years or more to make people understand that only labor, productive labor, is regarded as normal and is esteemed by social opinion. Now we have this evolution of mind accomplished in three years' time. Relations between men and women. Many other examples show the same thing. Especially is this taking place in family life and in the relations between men and women. The women are getting more independent and more sound, new and healthy relations based on solidarity between men and women in our first workers' republic of the world. Nationalization of women. We laugh at the stories which the bourgeois papers publish about Russia, especially about the nationalization of women. Poor bourgeois correspondents. They have no idea how the working and peasant women have grown in these few years of their self-activity in a new worker state, where the woman is regarded as an equal. Who could venture to nationalize a free, independent, and politically as well as economically active woman citizen of our Soviet Russia? I would like to see the faces of the liars who tell such stupid stories about us. If they asked a Russian working class girl if she was nationalized, they play such an active part in our revolution that old prejudices against the sex are dying out little by little. Women in the government. We have women not only as Soviet members, but also as presidents in local Soviets. Many women act as commissars in all branches of social and state life and at the front. One has even been decorated with the red star for her work as a political commissar at the front during these years. We have had even one people's commissar, and hundreds of communist women are at the heads of different state departments, especially in the commissariat of public health, of social welfare, public education, and public feeding. The organization of communal kitchens and rationing the goods to the population according to our labor card system. Our party is doing good work among the working women. We have a special women's section in each local party committee. I am now the head of the whole work. We have about 400,000 organized women, the majority of whom are communists belonging to the party. No sex divisions, no special organization of women in the party itself. The rest are grouped around our Soviet work controlled by our communist women's department. Our work is much harder when we try to get at the peasant women, but little by little, we succeed in gaining their sympathy for communism. Methods of propaganda. A very good method of enlightening the women 
is by the so-called non-party conferences, where we, the Communist Women's Department, invite delegates from all the villages, factories, workshops, and housewives elected in town district conferences. Political and economic questions are discussed, and generally the non-party conferences end by passing all of our communist resolutions. Our tactics are less agitation, more deeds, more practical help to the working women who have to suffer much under the hard conditions of a transitory historical and economic period. Women's papers. We have 74 weekly papers for working women, a paper in each government province, a monthly paper, a weekly official bulletin. The work is growing fast. Under our influence, we are now working out a law on prostitution. Mothers and children. But what I would like you to see is our children's social education. The institutions are not new as regards organization, but the spirit that prevails there is new and inspiring. And the children are so happy in our homes for babies or in children's homes. You must not think that we take the children by force from the mothers. Nothing of the kind. We not only try to help our working women who are overburdened with work at home and with professional work and use their labor energy more productively for the sake of their own prosperity and the prosperity of their children and all children of the Soviet Republic. Our cry is, Mothers, learn to be loving mothers not only towards your own child, but towards all children of our workers' republic. But there is a lack of homes. We have not plenty of clothes for our nine million children. We have not paper enough for our school books, etc. That means our task is double as hard. And still, we do all we can to feed the children and help the mother. All children in the towns are fed up to 16 years of age by the state. I could write for hours about our fairy tale land where the sunny side of creative work is darkened often by many shady sides of our life and tactics. I am not always in favor of many of the tactical methods of our party. I know how far we are from real communism but I feel we are on our way to it. No private property. The biggest obstacle is removed. We have no private property, no capitalists. And if we suffer, we suffer more because the production in the whole world is disorganized. The productive forces have not developed during these terrible years of war. But we are going forward. We are beginning to organize our industry on new communistic lines, and I believe we, sooner than any capitalist country, will enter into a period of prosperity. We work for the benefit of the social body, and we work hard with enthusiasm. If only the scoundrels, the capitalists of Great Britain, America, etc., would not always be doing destructive work attacking Soviet Russia. But we see that their end is near. The workers of England and other countries are no longer fools. They know who their enemy is. And the movement is growing. I am sure your comrades all understand. 
against unemployment, no other methods can help except the putting aside of all the gentlemen, the capitalists who disorganize production by anarchistic methods of ruling industry and by means of never-ending competition. I wish you success in your, or rather, our work. Obviously, signed, Alexandra Kolontai. So this is a letter that I found on the Marxist Internet Archive, and it was uh, written in this style with these subheadings. I, I, uh, I read out the subheadings so that you would get a sense of the way she organized the letter. And I think the point of this letter clearly was to kind of share strategies with her comrade in, in the UK to sort of say, look, here are the things that we're doing. Here are places where we're falling short. I do think it's, it's relevant here that Kolontai herself acknowledges that they're very far from communism and that she doesn't like the tactics of some members of her party. And I obviously believe that she's here talking about the new economic policy, but she's also very concretely speaking about the work that can be done and the challenges that lie ahead in terms of organizing peasant women and how they're reaching out to them through these non-party congresses, how they're creating all of these newspapers and magazines and bulletins, how, you know, they are organizing women's departments within the Communist Party to sort of reach out to women, but not dividing the working class between male and women's sections of the party. She's talking a lot about the very practical things like the canteens and the kitchens and cafeterias, the children's homes, the ways in which they're trying to mobilize women into the productive labor force, the way that they are challenged by finding enough clothes and food and paper for the books that they need to educate the children. So here, Kolontai, in this letter that is being sent out to a comrade in the West in a capitalist country, she's clearly not sugarcoating things about the status of the revolution, about the status of the work that needs to be done. She is acknowledging that there are many challenges. And I think it's important here, you know, at this moment when Kolontai is sort of heading up the work of the Genotel and she's trying to create these broad coalitions with women socialists in the West, that she recognizes from the very, this very early moment that this sort of socialist emancipation for women is something that will appeal to women and workers in all countries, obviously not just in Russia, not just in the Soviet Union. This is a broader, more inclusive, more expansive vision of, of the kind of work that needed to be done uh, in order to truly emancipate and liberate women from the kind of patriarchal capitalist oppression that they faced in 1921, a hundred years ago. Unfortunately, a century has passed, and I think we can safely say that there are still many, many challenges uh, that remain um, in terms of fighting off the, the dual dual oppress oppressions of, of capitalism and patriarchy in ordinary people's lives, because it's not just women obviously, who are victimized by patriarchy, but many men are as well, as, I, as I've said on this podcast before. So that's my little letter from Alexandra Kolontai today, exactly written almost a 100 years ago in January of 1921. So we're looking at it from a vantage point of century later and, and recognizing that there was all this movement and excitement in 1921 in revolutionary Russia and 
you know, it was a, a time of great tumult and change, and we could be standing on the precipice of another era of great tumult and change. And, you know, it's it's worth it to go back and think about the challenges that women like Colin Tite faced. Anyway, uh, that's it for me. Happy New Year again to everyone. And thank you again for listening to this podcast. It has been a real pleasure to do this for two years. I'm also celebrating the two-year anniversary of this podcast, which I started in January of 2019 uh, on a kind of whim. I didn't actually realize that I was starting a podcast when I started. I thought I was going to do some recordings of me reading and discussing Colin Ty's work. And thanks to my daughter, she basically said, mom, that's a, that's a podcast. <laughs> so, and she's been a, a great help to me with other kinds of technical things. And uh, obviously with the design of the, of the stickers that some of you may have soon, I think the whole first big batch has gone out into the post. So keep an eye out for those and, you know, uh, lots of uh, solidarity to everyone out there listening. And as always, keep up the good fight. <laughs>